What is going on, church? Figured I'd change it up from just hello, good morning. Apparently, that's not the intro. So, we'll, we'll keep looking for one, apparently. So, uh, hello, good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. I will just tell you, uh, I, I just took a moment over there to just not sing and just listen. You all sounded so good this morning. I don't know what it was, if uh, your voices, you drank honey or whatever, but, I mean, it sounded so good just to hear everybody singing about God's grace this morning. As Kurt said, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning morning as we continue on in our series about being a new normal. And again, if you have not been with us lately, uh, this series is just based on we're coming back from kind of not gathering together as the body of believers. And we don't want to come back just to the same old rut or the same old routine or the, you know, just doing a motion of coming to church. We want to be the church. And so even though I'm not a fan of the term new normal, I saw a list of words we never want to see again after everything that's going on and like social distancing is one of those words that's just like oh I've heard enough of social distancing new normal is one of them as well but hey let's have a series named after it because we want to come back with not the way things were before we want to continue to strive Paul encouraged the church in in Thessalonica to continue to excel all the more and so that's what we want to do we want to continually be excel to be what God is calling us to be in these areas. And today's is we want to be filled with grace. We want to have the grace of God. We want to receive the grace, but also we don't want to just be filled with it for ourselves, but we want to give it to others. So if you'll join me, we'll just go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we'll just go into God's word and see what he has to say about this. So Father God, you are so good. God, as we just sat there and our voices were lifted up as one voice to sing praises to you, the creator of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the giver of life to us. God, we thank you so much for the grace that you have given us. And I, I pray that um, today you show us a little bit more about that grace. That we not say, I know about grace, I've heard it, uh, but God, that we, we say, show us something else about what you want us to see, about who you are and what you've done for us. Because God, you are so good, and you have stopped at nothing for us to be with you. So as we come into this time, I just pray, may we, uh, may we not allow anything to, to come between us so that we uh, to get distracted with anything, but may we fix our eyes on you. And may we grow in what your word has to say. We love you. We thank you. And speak to us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So I got a question for you. If you were to die today, and I've mentioned this question before, if you were to die today on a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you would be welcomed into eternal life? <laughs> I like it. On a scale of 1 to 10, so 1 being, man, um, pretty certain there is no chance I'm going to make it to heaven. 10 being, I have not the slightest doubt in my mind that I'm going to make it to heaven, and somewhere in between there. If you were to truly ask yourself that question, scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you would make it to heaven, what would your answer be? And then my follow-up question is going to be, why? Why is that your answer? 
Why are you at a one? Why are you at a six? Why are you at a 10? What is the reason for that? And if you have anywhere in there that your answer is because I am, then it's probably not the right answer. Unless it is I am totally 100% relying on what Jesus has done for me. I think that's pretty much the only answer that would merit a 10. If it's because I go to church enough, then you're not a 10. If it's because I give not only 10%, but I'm really righteous, I give 20%, that's not going to cut it. If it's because, well, I try not to cuss anymore, or I try not to talk bad about people, or I just try and live a moral life, it's not going to cut it. If you are relying on anything that you can do or have done or plan on doing, it's not going to cut it. The only way that we can receive eternal life is through grace. Faith through grace. Faith in grace. That's the only way we're getting to heaven is because of what Jesus has done. Because honestly, the what I would say, the number one enemy of grace is pride. Because pride's going to be looking at yourself and it's going to be like, well, I do this. I have done this. I am a good person. I give, help, serve, pray, whatever it is. I do that. So that is why I should make it to heaven. That's why I'm going to go to heaven because of everything I can do. There's a lot of pride in ourselves there. I mentioned last week American Gospel, and we started looking at it on Wednesday nights. And so if you are not coming on Wednesday nights, I mean, this documentary is just really good. But somewhere in there, uh, one of these televangelists made the statement, and he said, remind God of all the seeds that you have sown, and then tell God, because I've done all of this, you should do this. And it's like, hold the phone there. Like, we do not get a force God's hand by being like, see God, because I did all of these things, I'm deserving of this. I'm deserving not only of eternal life, God, because I'm deserving of it. I'm deserving of all the greatest blessings on this earth. And it's like, that's not the case at all. Pride is going to destroy the work of grace. Pride is going to try and pull us away from receiving grace because grace, the sacrifice of Jesus, the gospel, we're actually told in the Bible that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's offensive. It is going to make people be like, I don't want that because they're going to be like, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm not that good of a person. You're telling me that I uh, can't earn it on my own, that I'm not as great as I think I am. And it's like, that's exactly true. Nobody is. But pride is going to try and tell us that. Pride is going to say, look at me. Look at all the good things that I've done. Look at how great I am. Pride makes us want to see how good we are, but pride also wants us to see other people get what they deserve. Have you ever noticed that in yourself? I, I notice it when um, I do kind of fall down the, the, the sin. We'll just call it what it is. The sin of gossip. Or the sin of talking negatively about somebody. It's like, can you believe what that person is doing? And it's like, let's look at them because I am the model of perfection. And it's like, that's not even the case. But that's what we look at. It's like, let's look at these people and all their downfalls and not even look at myself and how miserable and horrible I, I am. I was just talking yesterday. I went to my grandpa's with my parents and on the way, it was like, you know, I can't even measure up to my own standard. Romans 3 tells us that. 
1 through 3, somewhere in there, Romans is telling us that, hey, even those who haven't heard, they have a standard in their own conscience, and they break that all the time. So any time somebody's like, I'm a good enough person, we just need to look at the last time that we wanted to smack ourselves across the face and be like, listen up, stop doing that. It's like, stop talking like that, Andy. So why, why? Like Monday, great example. Oh boy. Worked on a chain link fence, could not mend two pieces of chain link together, lost my attitude. And it was like, Andy, stop! Like failing, I was not there. But pride makes me immediately after that want to be like, did you listen to this guy that was saying all these things? And man, they're horrible. And it's like, Andy, not very long ago, you were definitely saying things that were not glorifying to God. You're not that great. But pride gets in the way. It causes us to look at ourselves on a higher level and everybody else on a lower level. It causes us to forget where we are. So many times pride causes us to think we are better than other people. And we, we, yes, I believe in being saved by grace, but I don't really need it anymore. I got that saving grace. That was good. I don't need grace the rest of my life because I'm a God. He saved me. And now I'm just perfecting myself is pretty much what it looks like we're saying. Pride makes us forget that every single day we are in need of grace. Today, did you wake up and think, God, I am in need of your grace today. I am still not worthy today. I just woke up. I haven't even had a thought. I'm still not deserving of heaven. I'm still deserving. The only thing I deserve is eternal hell. That's what the gospel tells us. Because pride goes against the gospel. Pride makes us think, again, it's all about what we've done. And Paul says, if you want to play the pride game, if you want to put confidence in yourself, you, if you want to compare yourself to anybody, start comparing yourself with me. He says, if you want to play that game, Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he says, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So if you want to put pride in yourself, Paul's saying, I got you beat. If we're going to play the comparison game, I win. And then he said, but that's not good enough. In verse 7, he said, whatever gain I had, any effort I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things. And he says, I count them as rubbish. I count them as garbage, trash, dung, whatever you want to call it, it is junk in order that I may gain Christ. And it's like, hey, you want to put, well, I have given $10,000 to the church already. That is garbage compared to knowing Christ. It's a good thing, but we don't put pride in that. Well, I have attended church perfectly this whole year. That is nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's not about what we've done. It is about who Christ Jesus is. Because we will never be able to earn that. The gospel tells us that. Romans 3, 10 through 11, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one even seeks God. It's like, well, I came to Jesus. No, you didn't. You did not seek after God. God called you. 
God put the, the calling in your heart, you might have responded. But nobody can say, I came to Christ on my own. It is the work of Jesus in your life. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin is death. So we all deserve death. That is the one thing. If anybody's like, I earned heaven, no. We have earned nothing. We have earned death. That is the only thing. There is no room for pride in the Christian life when we truly realize this, when we truly grasp that it is all because of what Christ has done and never because of what we do. We can't play the comparison game. Well, can you believe what they did? Well, can you believe what you're doing right now by talking about them? That act of gossip, that act of condemning them and judging them and doing that and talking about them, that is deserving of hell right there. That is what we deserve. And so in order to give grace, we need to remember the gospel. That is by grace we have been saved. Romans 5, 6 tells us while we were still weak, not when we got our act together, not when we decided to attend church uh, five times a week or however often or give that much money or whatever. While we were still weak, it's kind of vulgar, but I heard one guy say, while we were still giving God the bird, while we were still flipping God off, and it's like, whoa, I would never do that. Actually, it's kind of what we were doing. Christ still died for us while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still deserving of hell, before we did a single thing, and before we can even try to do a single thing to earn salvation, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have to remember that. And it's not a, well, yeah, I received that 10 years ago or one year ago or 50 years ago. I'm good. No, it is a today. Right now, we still have to remember that. That God didn't save you and then you're sanctifying yourself. God is still doing the work in us. Because Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. And so you see, here's the thing. We talk about grace. And it's like, okay, grace is a cool word that we throw out there a lot of times. But what does grace really mean? How have I been saved by grace? And so there's like three words that we look at. We look at justice, mercy, and grace. Justice means you are getting exactly what you deserve. There's a lot of cries for justice going on in our nation right now. They're asking for, hey, is what is deserving going to happen? Well, the thing is, we need to realize that we are deserving of justice ourselves. That justice for us would be hell. When we're like, God, I hope that you give justice on this person, we need to remember that that's justice for us too. That we are deserving of hell. That's justice. Mercy is not giving what you deserve. And so mercy would be, man, we are deserving of hell, but God is saying, no, I'm not going to send you to hell. 
It would be like justice would be you punching me in the face because I deserve it. Mercy would be you not punching me in the face because I deserve it. And then grace is now saying, not only that, I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to give you something completely you don't deserve. So if I deserve a punch in the face, your justice is giving me a punch. Mercy is not giving me a punch. Grace is giving me a million dollars on top of it or that brand new Lamborghini or whatever, giving me something that's like he does not deserve that one bit, but hey, I'm just going to give it to him. And so justice is hell. Mercy is not getting hell, but God is like, hey, I'm going to one up the ante again. I'm going to give them eternal life. Mercy would be wiping us off the earth with no penalty. You die, you're done. That's mercy. Hell is justice. Mercy is just ashes to ashes, dust to dust, no existence after death. But grace is God's like, I'm going to one up. They get to live in eternity with me. That's what God's given you. He has given you grace when we don't deserve one ounce of it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us that we are saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, he says, is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nobody can boast in anything. So why are we saved, though? Paul continues on in verse 10. He says that it is, we are created for a workmanship, for, to do good works for Christ. So he saved us through faith, by grace, through faith, so that we can do good works for Christ. And so Paul, he teaches us in Ephesians. He says this is what being saved by grace looks like in Ephesians 4. That's kind of where we're going to be the rest of this sermon. And he spends the whole first half of the book of Ephesians. He does the same thing in the first half of the book of Romans by always telling us this is what God has done for you. Romans 1 through, ver, or through 11 is God has done everything. He has paved the way. God has initiated re relationship. Ephesians 1 through 3 is God has saved you. It is by grace that you have been saved. God has done it all. But then he always says there is a response. And so for us to be filled with grace as a body of believers, we have to fully receive grace. We have to understand the gospel. We have to understand what God has done for us. And so Paul in chapter 4 starts telling us, chapter 4 of Ephesians tells us, this is your response. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. He says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one faith, one baptism, one God, and one father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So because of everything that God has done for us, he says, now I'm urging you to be unified together, to be one body in one spirit. He says, we seek to live in this unity. You know how you live in unity? By humbling yourself and living in grace. That's how it happens. 
Because again, pride is going to be like, did you hear how they sang? Did you see what they wore? Did you see what they did? Can you believe that that happened? Whereas grace is going to say, hey, let's, let's give them some grace. Let's help them out here. Let's, let's maybe come alongside them. Instead of talking about them, let's talk to them. Let's walk in grace with one another. Because again, in order to truly give grace, we must truly understand how we ourselves have been saved. That is nothing that we have done that makes us so good. Because we are not good still. I'm still not a good person when I look at the standard of Jesus. I'm striving to be holy. I'm striving to glorify God in everything, but I would say I'm not a good person when I look at what the true standard is. There is none righteous. No, not one. And so in order to give grace, we must understand grace. But walking in grace is not turning a blind eye to sin. It's not man. They're here and they're sleeping around, or they're here and they're uh, cheating on their taxes, or they're, you know, whatever it is. It's not turning a blind eye to sin. That's not what grace is. But instead, what grace is, is speaking truth to them and then helping them along the way. We see this when Jesus encountered the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And she comes before him. She is literally caught in the act of adultery. She's brought before him and they're like, hey, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, he starts right in in the ground and we know the story. He, they start walking away, youngest to the oldest. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is left with the woman. And in verse 10, he looks at the woman, he stands up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus did not turn a blind eye to what she was doing. Because he said, stop sinning. He spoke truth into her life, but he gave her grace on top of it. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to slap you or throw stones. I'm totally deserving of throwing a stone to you. I am the only one who can throw a stone at you, but I'm not. Instead, I'm going to give you grace. But now, go and sin no more. Jesus never turned a blind eye to sin. You'll never see Jesus being like, that's fine, keep living in your sin, you're good. But instead, he constantly called it out, but he did it with love. He did it with truth. He did it with grace. And that's what true grace, I believe, is. Calling somebody to a better life regardless of what they've done. So instead, I always say, we don't shoot our wounded. So if somebody is like, hey man, like if, if somebody, we talked about being authentic, we talked about living in community, I hope we are doing that. And so being authentic means somebody comes to you and opens up about some sin that they are struggling with. James five sixteen, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may find healing. And so we open up with one another. But when we do that, we don't shoot them down. We don't say, wow, you are a horrible person. I don't know if we can hang out anymore. Because hopefully, uh, authentic relationship means they are seeking help. 
They are seeking, they are coming with a repentant heart. They're like, man, I just lost my attitude with my wife really bad. I need your help in this. Or I just clicked on this image for the fifth time this week. I need your help with this. And it's like, wow, you're going to hell for that. That is not walking in grace. That is shooting the wounded. That's like, wow, you need help. Let me finish you off. But instead, we help them. We, we draw them to a higher calling. I came up with this little math formula for you. I thought it was really cool. It says, racism plus repentance and belief equals salvation. I thought, man, you mean a racist can be saved? Exactly. A porn addict plus repentance and belief equals salvation. A drug addict, an alcoholic, a murderer, a homosexual, any sin plus repentance and belief in Jesus equals salvation. Really, we don't need that first part. You want to know what repentance is or what salvation is? Repentance and belief means you turn from that way of life. And so that is what we share. We tell people, hey, turn from that. You know there's a better way. It's found in Jesus. You know Jesus is calling you to a higher calling. There is power in Jesus. You want salvation? Repent and believe. And repent doesn't just mean, God, I am sorry. I'll do my best not to do it again. Repent is not saying words. It is living a life. It is, hey, I want to click on that. No, I'm going to turn around and walk away. Hey, I want to open my phone and look at something. Let's open my Bible instead and grow in God's word. Hey, I'm going to struggle with this, but I'm not going to walk in it. There's a total difference between walking in something and struggling with something. And so I would say if somebody is like completely walking in a sin and they're like, hey, um, I've actually been sleeping with somebody that's not my wife for like the last five weeks, deal with it. It's like, whoa, man. Do you know what God's word says about that? Like, hey, we, we have to talk about this. Like God's word calls you to this. And we, there might be some, some punishments. I mean, there are consequences for sin. We are given that the church should be a place where we institute spiritual discipline if necessary. But we don't shoot somebody just for struggling with sin. We don't shoot somebody for walking in sin either. We share the gospel with them. We say, hey, God is calling you to something higher. But we always walk in grace. So regardless of what you've done, we are all deserving of death, Romans 3.23. But grace is offered to all. Because Paul is like, man, what a wretched sinner I am. He doesn't say what a wretched sinner I used to be. He says, what a wretched sinner I am. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. That's who's going to save me from this bondage of sin. So we are called to be filled with grace. But what does that look like? Paul continues on. And I believe in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us, hey, this is what walking in grace looks like. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. He says, we, this is the collective, we as the body of Christ grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then in verse 25, he repeats it. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So walking in grace means we walk in authenticity. We walk in community because grace helps one another out. 
It's not just a, hey, you know, the biggest fear, honestly, that a lot of people have with grace is it is going to be an excuse to sin. That's how Paul opens up Romans 6.1. He says, so because, sin increases, because grace increases, we should just continue on sinning. And he says, by no means. Instead, true grace transforms us. True grace pushes us to something greater. Titus chapter 2 verse 12. I'm going to have to find it. It tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then this is what it does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So true grace is training us to forsake sin and to seek after Christ. And so what what it means to walk in grace means we don't shoot the wounded. Ephesians 4.29 tells us this. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So grace is actually going to not be participating in the talking about somebody else, but instead being like, wait, you know what? I care about you too much and I care about them too much to allow this to go on. So I'm going to stop you in your tracks. So much harder to do than actually to say it, but man, it is what God is calling us to do. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is building one another up. It is so easy to say something negative about other people. But we are called to encourage one another. We are called to exhort one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. Yes, we're even called to rebuke one another. But we're called to rebuke one another, not talk about rebuking somebody else to somebody else. That is not what God's word says. A lot of times it's like, boy, somebody should go talk to that person. I hope you're talking to a mirror when you say that. Because if you have an issue with it, it's like, hey, I should go to them. God's word tells us we go to them initially. And so nowhere in the Bible, I've looked, nowhere in the Bible are we going to find God's word says to gossip about one another. That's not a command God ever gives us. He's never going to tell us to slander one another. He's never going to tell us to hate one another. He's never even going to tell us to avoid one another. Now, there is a little caveat to this. He does say, unless for spiritual discipline, but there is a process that takes place before that happens. It's not just, boy, they did that. I'm running the opposite direction. And it also says in Proverbs that if they're a fool, have nothing to do with them. But again, hopefully we care about them to talk to them and be like, hey, you're kind of acting pretty foolish right now. And we're willing to step on toes because we care about them. And nowhere in the Bible are you going to see that it says to wish ill upon somebody else. You're always going to find to love them, pray for them. Yes, rebuke them, but it's done in love. And so we're not perfect. That's what we need to realize. There is not a single perfect person in this room. I heard it said when I first came here, there is no such thing as a perfect church, and if you find one, never go because you're going to ruin it all. And it's like, that is absolutely true. We are not a perfect church, but what we are striving to do beyond anything is seek after a perfect God and do what he calls us to do. But we have to constantly remember that we are saved by grace. 
We are daily saved by grace. God's grace covers me today. God's grace covers me tomorrow. God's grace covers me every day of my life. I am saved not once by grace, but an eternal saving through grace. But there is one requirement for this. It comes with repentance. If you repent, grace is given. But the thing is that if there is no repentance, God actually gives us justice instead. Because that's the sad thing is there are a lot of people who are not repenting. God's grace is completely offered to them. I believe that with all my heart. That Jesus died for all that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that his blood covers all, but it must be received. That we have to repent. We have to turn from our life. And again, repent is not just God. I'm going to come forward. I'm going to say a prayer and uh, call that good and live life like I lived it before. It is a changing of your life, but it is, as Romans 12 tells us, being transformed by the renewing of our mind around God's word. And so with repentance comes grace. Without repentance comes justice. Jesus, he tells us, hey, see your own faults, and then we're able to take care of other people's faults. And so if people are not repenting, we should show them that they need to repent. So often we get told, hey, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge. Matthew 7 is a great verse that people throw up. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't help people. Don't show them a speck in their eye. But he's saying, hey, don't have that pride where it's like, I got nothing wrong with my life. I'm going to just start fixing everybody else out while at the whole time there is a log in our own eye. And so we are called to help one another out. We're called to, that's what rebuke is. Be like, dude, you got a speck in your eye. You are walking a life of sin. What are you doing? Do you claim Jesus? Do you claim to be under God's word? Okay, let's talk about this then. We are called to do that. But what we don't do is say, hey, you realize that uh, you're really cussing a lot and then walk over here and be like those, I'm not even going to say any of the words, but it, you know, just cussing on our own and being like, they're horrible people and yet we're doing something even worse ourselves. And why do we do all this? Paul closes Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us this is why we walk in grace. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We do it because Christ has forgiven us. We are forgiven. That's why we do it. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, we are called to imitate God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So why do we do this? Why am I going to extend grace? Because I realize how much grace has been given to me. Why am I going to strive for holiness? Because I see the sacrifice that Christ made for me. Not to earn anything, but out of a response of the relationship that I have with Christ. And so what we're going to do 
is we're going to close. Kurt's going to come up and Lauren, they're going to lead us in a song. But this song is kind of twofold. I mean, we've kind of rearranged communion. So one is to prepare our hearts for communion, which I hope ties into this message so well that, hey, when you're taking that juice and you're taking that bread, you remember it is because of this that I am saved. Nothing that I've done, but because of what Christ has done. But then we also play this song because we want to give an opportunity for people to respond just to however the Spirit is calling you. I mean, I don't know the salvation of everybody in this room. I hope you're all saved. But I heard a pastor say there could always be that one person who has not given their life to Christ, who has not repented. And so I hope that this message spoke to you or that God spoke to you. And so if you have a decision, we encourage you, come forward during this song. And we'll talk to you and we'll pray with you. If you are going through a difficulty, part of the grace that God gives us is to strengthen us. We're told in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that when I am weak, I am strong. Therefore, I will rejoice in my weaknesses. And so it is, again, pride's going to say, I don't need help. Whereas maybe we're like, man, I really do need help. I'm struggling with whatever it is. I need prayer. I need to talk to somebody. You are more than welcome to come forward. I'll be sitting there. We'll have, I believe Dennis will be sitting here as well. And I mean, we would love to talk to you, pray with you, whatever it is, help you out however we can. Because remember, we are a body. This is not something you are doing on your own. We are here to go through this with you because we are going to walk in grace, the same grace that God gave us. Father God, we thank you just so much that you have given us grace. God, there's, like your word says, there is nothing that we can do to receive this grace other than repent, other than accept it. We can't earn it. And so God, I just pray that as we sing this song, if you are working on the heart of somebody in God, I trust that you are working. That you give them the courage to find the help that they need. Live authentically. To go grab somebody, if it's come forward, talk to me or an elder or somebody that they know that will point them to your truth. God, let us have the courage and the confidence to find that help, to confess our sins to one another so that we can pray for one another, one another and find healing. God, we just trust that you're moving. So God, just have your will with us. Allow us to just totally humble ourselves before you during this song and continue to speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. If you'll stand, we're going to sing The Savior is Waiting, number 480.